0: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Somebody just dance for a moment. Give God praise. Hallelujah. I feel liberty in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Feels good in the house of the Lord. Amen. Turn to your neighbor just tell him, I am free indeed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. It feels good in the house, Lord. Jesus' name. Love what I feel. Thank you to the worship team for leading us in worship. Amen. That's really, really, when it comes to worship leading, that is is just what they're doing. They're leading us into worship. There's entire... Groups, it's just a performance. But I want to tell you, we're being led into worship week in and week out, and I thank God for that. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We are going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter eight. Amen. Genesis chapter eight. Amen. God. We're going to just quickly recap a little bit about what we talked about last week, and then we are going to be making our way through. I am intentionally taking my time on this Bible study. You can te- teach this a lot faster, um, but it's important for us to get as much information as we can because we are growing in the Lord. It is line upon line, precept upon precept, and so everything that we can add, it adds to our faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And there is nothing like good Bible teaching that will build your faith in the things that we have heard and the things that we believe in this word. And so uh, it will hopefully be a blessing to you here tonight um, in Jesus' name. He says in verse 17, Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly upon the earth. And be fruitful and multiply in the earth. And Noah went forth, his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast and every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth among the earth, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. Amen. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Amen. Last week I want to kind of recap. God told Noah, Amen. To get into the ark and that moment, that day that Noah and his family entered into the ark, the Bible declares it was God that shut the door and everybody in the entire world could have got on the boat all the way up until the moment God shut the door. The moment that God shut the door, it was over. And 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 I want to just say this that it is not too late for you right now. There is, a, there is a whole theology that is a false doctrine, and even Paul taught against it, and John taught against it, uh, Gnosticism and some of these other ideologies that said that Jesus already returned and that Jesus already came back. That is a heresy. It, it was refuted in Paul's day, in John's day, and it's still refuted today. There were people that were going around teaching that that Jesus already came back. The problem with that teaching is immediately that means we are all lost. That that we are it's 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 over, it's done with. And there are some people that live like that. They live as if God has already returned and there's no hope for them. But I want to tell you as long as you got breath in your body, there is still hope for you. Hallelujah. But in order to get saved, you got to go through the door. And everybody said, amen. And Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. you got to get in Jesus. Amen. And so he gets on the boat. His family goes on. They're all in there. And the rain began to fall. And it is at this moment. That the people recognize, oh no, the guy we've been making fun of for the last 120 years was actually on to something, and uh, and the guy that we saw making this big barge that we thought was crazy, he actually had the right idea, and and this is what Jesus would later later teach about that there will be people in the last days that are gathered, the sheep and the goats, and the goats are separated. The wheat from the chaff. There's a separation that happens in the last days. And at that moment, Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to wait until it's too late. I don't want to be like the rich man and Lazarus that he waited until he got into hell and he couldn't, he could he just wanted a little drop of water. He could he just wanted a little tiny drop. But he said, I, I wish that Lazarus could come and give me that water. And he, and, and Abraham, in this parable, spoke to him and said, it's, it's too late. It's too late. And he says, go warn my brothers. And Jesus tells the parable, if they didn't believe Moses or the prophets, they're not going to believe even if somebody rose from the dead. And, and I don't want to wait until i'm in the fire wanting to get out and i don't want to wait until after the judgment has come and i don't want to wait until after the rain has descended and i don't want to wait until after jesus has already returned to say well now i'm ready to get my life right i i, I want to just dispel this idea we've already talked about the fact that if somebody repents on their deathbed uh, that that and and they've been baptized in jesus name filled with the holy ghost god will accept them but i don't want to risk it i don't want to i don't want to risk missing heaven because I was waiting till the last moment because no man knows the day or the hour nobody knows when Jesus is coming back and nobody knows their appointed time to die and so you got to you got to be living like 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 Noah did he was building and he was preaching he was building and he was preaching he was constructing something to save his family and to save the world and at the meantime he was also preaching the word and teaching the word compelling people to get on the boat amen Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 uh, we talked about it last week you can read it at your own time but it says this as it was in the days of Noah so shall the coming of the son of man be and last week we talked about how wicked it was in Noah's day and how people were just going about their daily lives and and we could talk about the wickedness of Noah's Day. We could talk about just the idea that they could care less about God. And we could talk about that. But Jesus says, that's exactly how it's gonna be when I return. And we talked about how crazy our world is. We don't we don't really even need to look very far. We can just see how crazy our world is. You just gotta get on online on the news and you will find every bit of chaos that you could ever imagine. You know, we are not we were never created to handle the amount of chaos that social media and that uh, cell phones and the internet. You know, we're not we're not we don't have the capacity to handle the emotion that there was a shooting, you know, somewhere in the world. That that information would have never gotten your hands 100 years ago. And now we're seeing it on a minute by minute. And we wonder why the world's full of depression. And we wonder why the world's full of anxiety, because we don't know when the next bad thing's going to happen. But the Bible says that all of these things are going to come, wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. How, do, how would they have ever known? This is powerful prophecy even when Jesus is speaking it. How would they know about earthquakes in diverse places except for living in our modern world, that there's the access to know what's happening in diverse places? We have the ability to know, know all these things. And the Bible says this to us. It says when you see all these things, it doesn't tell us to freak out. It doesn't tell us to go get a bunker. It doesn't tell us uh, to hunker down till Jesus comes. I want to tell you, it says, "Lift up your eyes, because your redemption is drawing close." Hallelujah. You know, dark clouds in Noah's day. Uh, to anybody who actually believed but didn't quite follow what Noah preached, that was a that was a little scary. A little conspiracy theorist, you know, like, okay, no, it's gonna rain whatever rain is and it's going to yeah it's going to flood whatever a flood is and those dark clouds come and the people he preached you no doubt thought well maybe but they didn't change their lifestyle it's not enough to just have a mental assent that you agree with even what i teach you you have to obey it you have to get on the boat but to noah every time he saw a dark cloud in the sky it was a hope of the promise that there was a day that was coming when he was going to leave this old world behind and he was going to step into a new life Amen. Everything in the world in Noah's day was destroyed. It was completely covered under the flood. And I've said it last week. I'll say it again. This is why you need to be baptized. Hallelujah. There is is no sin high enough. There is no, no sin too low that the waters of baptism won't cover. It'll cover everything you've ever done. It'll completely wash it away. It'll change the topography of your entire life. Amen. And that's what happened in Noah's day. The rains ascended, the floodwaters of the earth were broken up, and it began to wash everything away. All living creatures died. And and for 40 days and for 40 nights it rained upon the earth. That was the judgment of God. And for a year and 17 days, Noah and his family were on the ark. And this is a typology of the coming of Jesus. And I want to tell you, as sure as the rain fell in Noah's day, that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to split the skies. And and let me just say this. We who are alive and remain will be taken with Jesus. We will be raptured. We will be caught away out of this world. Amen. Thank God for that. But everything that's left, it will be destroyed. The Bible says the earth will melt with a fervent heat. Talk about global warming. Praise God. It's coming. Just not the way they think it's going to. Not the way Greta says. Praise God. It's coming. But I ain't going to be here. Amen. I'm going to be up out of here. Amen. And I hope you are as well. And so the only ones that escaped are those that were in covenant with God. Amen. After the flood, Noah's ark settled on Mount Ararat. And it was then that Noah opened the window and he sent forth the raven and the dove. And this was his way of determining whether or not the flood was really over. Notice how the raven didn't return. This is because the raven is an unclean bird. It scavenges. It eats dead things. It's basically a buzzard. And no doubt, after the flood, it had lots of things to go back and to devour. But the dove was sent out, and at first it came back because the Bible says it had nowhere to place its foot. It is known of doves that they won't put their foot in unclean things and on unclean things. It's In it's fact, you'll find there's a lot of typology about the dove. In the Bible, the dove was used for sin offerings and all of these different things. But eventually you'll even find that the Spirit, when John writes about the Spirit descending on Jesus, he says it took on the form, the bodily form, it looked like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. It just, it descended on him like a dove and lighted upon him. It was a way for everybody there who was religious and knew the Bible to say that this this clean bird if you will would land on jesus letting us know that he is safe when the bird the dove went out the first time it came back finding nowhere to rest and it rested on the ark letting the everybody know the ark is the safe place to be it's not time to get out of the boat amen don't get out of the boat too soon because you'll just get it you'll end up drowning but and 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 the safe place to be is in the ark it's in the boat and so so it is jesus is the safe place for us all to be we need to be Jesus, When it returned the second time, though, it brought back an olive leaf, an olive branch. There's a lot of typology I don't want to get into here today um, for the sake of time. But the olive leaf, it is a symbol of hope. It is a symbol of new life. It is like receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you have your Bibles, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. There might be some people in the building that can quote this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Through the story of Noah, you are seeing the redemption process. Amen. You are seeing the redemption process of Noah. And his family, they are going through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They are going through repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in an Old Testament typology. And when this dove comes back with this olive leaf, it is letting them know that it is a new world. That all, as was read even tonight by Brother Troy, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. And when you are baptized, all of your old self is dead in Christ. It is buried in Christ. But notice the scripture. He will not leave you buried. He will not leave you dead. Because even as Jesus came up out of the grave, you are going to be raised to newness of life. And the only way you get that is through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And everybody said amen. The earth was cleansed and Noah's family began this new life. Wickedness and evil had been erased from off of the earth, but I want you to notice it had not been erased out of the heart of man. Mankind still has the sinful nature. Every person we look out through the Old Testament, there is a hope and a desire that they will be the one to eradicate sin and all of sin's repercussions. Noah Noah received grace. He accepted it. He built the boat. He got through but even as we go through and we look at Noah's life and Noah's family, there's still wickedness in the heart. Amen. This is why the New Testament baptism is the answer. The Bible says it, it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. Amen. And so you need to be baptized because it's the answer of a clean conscience, of a good conscience, of God washing your heart. And we find Noah, he's saved, gets off of the boat and in this we enter the next dispensation. Everybody say human government. In addition to the guidance of man's conscience, which is all the way from the start of the fall of man unto Noah's, uh, Noah getting off the boat and God making a new covenant with them, they've got their conscience. We all have a conscience. It's still there. But now God is adding layers to this. They receive definite laws of conduct. Men became responsible for governing one another. This idea of human government was there because man's spirit was dead. He was forced to govern through the soul, the the broken, fallible soul, which the soul is simply this, the mind, the will, and the emotions of man. And now they are trying to govern one another. Noah and his family left the ark. And they built an altar, and they offered burnt sacrifices to the Lord. With this first act of worship, God was pleased. And after this sacrificial offering, God proposed a new covenant between Noah and himself. This covenant, as we've said before, is a mutual agreement or contract between individuals or nations. A covenant is still in effect between God and those that love and obey him. There are promises and there are responsibilities. We've said this before, but I'm going to get into us. Amen. A covenant is not one way. It is not God saying, I'll do this for you. And that is one of the biggest fallacies of modern uh, secular Christianity. It says you just need to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. First off, that's not in the Bible. And it is not us that accepts Jesus. It is Jesus that accepts us. Hallelujah. Uh, and, and somebody says, you need to make the Lord, Jesus the Lord of your life. That's an oxymoron. Because if you make him Lord of your life, then you made the Lord do something. He's no longer Lord. You are. And so this whole concept, uh, it, it, its just, it's a fallacy. There is an agreement. It's the agreement. God says, I will if you will. I will if you will. And God always keeps his end of the bargain. But we often fall and we often fail. Let's look at the terms of this new covenant. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. They say this, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said of them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all fishes of the sea. For all my fishermen, that's why you can't catch them. The fear and dread of you—it's not the bait you're using. It's just the fear and dread of you. Amen. Into your hand they shall be delivered. The animals in this new covenant will now have a fear of man, which indicates before the flood that was not the case. There was no fear of man. The nature—it seems as if pre-flood the nature of animals had not yet shifted, had not yet changed. Uh, this is where later the Bible would prophesy that the lion, that the wolf shall lay down with the lamb. Well, this already happened. This happened in the ark, and this happened pre-flood. But post-flood, this is now uh, all-out carnage. Verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb that I have given. Prior to the flood, man's diet had been vegetarian and vegan. Hallelujah. But thank God for the new covenant. All my people love brisket. You can now eat meat. You know, and really, you know, this, why are we talking about this? And why does it matter? Because our world's actually trying to go backwards. If you really look at what they're doing, when when they take off clothes, they're trying to get back to the garden. They, they're trying to go back to the garden. When they're, when they, you know, this whole concept of, of, of veganism, I'm not saying if you have some health complications, I'm not, I'm not commanding you to eat brisket, but I think you should try it. Um, it's a blessing. Praise God. And uh, he said, I, even the Bible says, I have given it to you. The Lord gave it to you. So it's a blessing from the Lord. Uh, but but, you know, the Bible even talks about in Timothy in, inside the concept of the last days. It, it, right in there where it says there will be some that forbid to marry. They forbid to eat meat. You know, veganism is actually a sign of the end time. I'm talking about this. And I understand. I know it seems like, man, pastorhood just got kooky. No, I, I didn't. I, I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. But what, what is the real, what is really going on? They're trying to go back pre-the covenant with Noah, trying to go backwards. And so, uh, but now God has made a covenant. Here's what's going to happen. Now you're you're going to be able to eat meat. I think that's a great part of the covenant. Amen. Uh, verse 4, but the flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. He's saying men shall not eat or drink blood. That is, that is a prohibition all the way back in Noah's day. That is a prohibition in the Levitical law, and it's even a prohibition in the New Testament church. So this is something that that God, for some reason, and I, I believe there's many reasons here, but one of the reasons is because God was concerned with the health and the well-being of his people. And you can't propagate and be fruitful and multiply if you're constantly dying off of different diseases and, and blood-borne pathogens and different things like that. God was really trying to help them, not just in Noah's day, but also in the Levitical law, trying to keep them. They didn't They didn't know anything about cook your chicken to 165, 70 degrees. They, they, didn't have any, they didn't have any of that health department business. And so God was very clear about all these different things, and this was one of them. Verses 5 and 6, And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it at the hand of every man at the hand of every man's brother will i require it in other words it is now instituting capital punishment this is part of god establishing through his covenant human government now we're starting to see society take shape and we're and this is this is where we're going here today whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall be of his blood shall be shed for the image of god made he man thou shalt not kill well we're not under the law brother i love when people say that we're not under the law brother we're under grace I'm like, well, then, then, man, go kill people. Don't do that. That's not, I'm not telling you to do that. Well, people people would say, well, oh, no, I don't mean that. Notice how they're always trying to say it over things that they want to get away with. But they'll never say it on, on extremes like that. Uh, no, we still got to do that. Well, th- because there's some things, and, and when we get to the law, I'll really talk about this. But there are three, types of the, three parts of the law. There was the moral, which does not change. The moral parts of God's law do not change. Do not change, because morality is morality. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not kill, period. It's morality. There's ceremonial. Those are things that were done by the priesthood. Well, Jesus is our high priest. We don't do the things that were done by the priesthood anymore. And then finally, there were civil laws. The civil laws of the nation of Israel, we don't live in Israel. We're not under uh, the Israeli government. Those civil laws don't exist anymore, and we'll talk about that more in the future. But God was instituting these different Base, very. Have you really consider this? Because uh, people read the Bible and they go, "Well, from where they're at." And they, we're, a, we're a, we're in a country of laws. We're governed. We're, we're in a, we're in a country of human government. But God was the one actually instituting the concept of human government, which led to society building. So God is going from individuals and from little families and from little tiny tribes. He is trying to create civilization as a whole. And this comes from God giving the word to Noah, telling him what to do. And then verse number 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by waters of the flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12. And this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and the earth and it shall come to pass that when i bring a cloud over the earth that a bow shall be seen in the cloud and i will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall be no more to become a flood to destroy all flesh god institutes this last part there will never be another worldwide flood now to you and i we would go well not a big deal Think about the trauma that Noah and his family just came from. They just watched the entire world put underwater. And everything is different. And it is, and and it's, and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a sign that every time you see a dark cloud, it doesn't give you PTSD. You're going to see that cloud in the sky, and it's going to be a covenant between you and me. Um, and, and you know I know there's all sorts of people want to use the rainbow for all sorts of things, but it really was God's God's covenant to the world. He was telling the world that I'm not going to I'm not going to punish the world in this way. In fact this, this was this will never be done again. To seal the covenant, God gave the sign of the rainbow. Every rainbow is a colorful reminder of God's covenant. In return, man's duty was to be fruitful, to multiply and to replenish the earth. They were to go from that place, from Mount Ararat, they were to go and be fruitful, multiply, and replenish or fill the entire earth. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 11. I will say this inside of human government just for the sake of time. We won't read all the scriptures, but turn to Genesis 11. After Noah builds an altar, he also plants a vineyard. And Noah gets drunk off of his vineyard now there's several reasons for this number one we could just say that sin is still in the heart of man and this just proves that noah is not the perfect archetype of, of savior he's not a perfect man he's a he was a righteous man made righteous by god but he was not a perfect man the other thing we can learn is that post flood it's no longer a greenhouse effect and the decay this is why the lifespan of man went down this is why there's a lot more death. It's a lot easier for things to die. I have no doubt that they were used to having vineyards before the flood, but after the flood, the fermentation process was a lot more rapid. And so Noah builds this, and it could very well have been an accident regardless. He got drunk off his own vineyard. There are many ways you could look at this. One way is the fact, and some people would use this to say, well, See, I can get drunk. Well, that's, that was actually sinful for Noah. He wasn't supposed to get drunk. That was not a, That's not permissible. Again, talking about moral laws. That's not permissible in Noah's day. It's not permissible under the law, and it's not permissible in the New Testament where it says be not drunk with wine. And so all of that being said, Noah does get drunk, showing us he's not perfect. He's flawed. And also, think about it from Noah's case. If this was intentional... He just came through a crazy flood. Now, that's no excuse for Noah. And, and let me just say this. It does not matter what you go through. There's some things that are still sin. You cannot excuse sin. We have to. Now, that doesn't mean we don't understand Noah. Noah just came through a worldwide flood, saw the entire world he built for 120 years. Uh, but at the same time, it's no excuse for sin. There's never a good. How, let me say it like this. There is never a good reason to sin. The devil will convince you there's a good reason to sin. Your coworker will convince you there's a good reason to sin. They'll just, in fact, your friends that are not really your friends will tell you there's a reason to sin. But there's never a good excuse. There's never a good reason to sin. And everybody said amen. So they, they get there, and the Bible also says that while he's there, he gets drunk, he's naked, he's in his tent, and his son Ham comes in and finds him. And uncovers his father's nakedness. Now there's a whole lot of interpretations we don't have time to get into here today. All we know is that when Noah woke up, he knew what his son had done. And he, he which means that the sin that was in the heart of man followed them through the flood. Followed them through the, because they haven't made it to New Testament salvation yet. They've not made it to the blood of Jesus yet. That sin still followed them through the flood and was still in their heart. And Noah's son, and this is what Noah said, "Cursed be Canaan, which was the son of, Of Ham and uh, and some people say well that's interesting and we'll talk about this when we get to Abram but the promised land was the land of Canaan and so in the this is a, a, a typology of the Old Testament Canaan is cursed and there's things that are cursed but there is a promise coming that Canaan will be redeemed and there is an Old Testament that we have been cursed by sin and by the law but there's a promise of a coming Savior that we will be redeemed and everybody said amen so Jephthah and, or uh, Japheth and Ham and Shem, they go out and they start to populate the world. They divide and they start immediately obeying what God has said. But let's go to Genesis chapter 11, verse number 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. Lest, notice this, let us make ourselves a name. Why? Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Again, the covenant had a promise, but it had a requirement. You're going to have all of these blessings, but here's the requirement for you. You need to go out. Let me put it in New Testament terms. Into all the world and repopulate and replenish. That is an Old Testament typology of evangelism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But they said, no, let's just stay here. Let's not go anywhere. Let's just build ourselves a city and let's build ourselves a tower. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing shall be ret- restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And so God told Noah and his family, here's the covenant. I'm going to bless you. All these things are going to happen for you. But here's the requirement on you. You need to go and build civilizations. It wasn't that God had a problem with cities. That's not what God had a problem with. It's the fact that they said, let's build a really big tower and have everybody stay here. And let's just hang out in one city because we don't want to be scattered from all of the earth. Here's a question. Why did they build that city and tower? They didn't want to be. They didn't, they didn't want to be scattered, number one. But why did they build a tower? they didn't believe god's promises god said i'll never flood the earth again and if you just heard the stories or just came out of all of this stuff you're immediately you're immediately thinking about the fact that hey if this if this thing ever comes down again we need we need to all stay close to the tower they didn't trust that god would be faithful to his word and so they started to build in one spot they were building this huge tower And it wasn't just a tower uh, that was, you know, just a little tall. No, they were trying to build into heaven. There's several things happening here. You are immediately seeing they're trying to make their way into heaven without the help of God. This is the start of humanism. Babylon is the seat of all false religion. And this is Babylon, in fact, is the start of, of mysticism. It's the start of Astronomy astronomy, and astrology and all of these different things. And they thought, we're going to, we're going to, re-, they're really saying this, we're going to rebel against what God has told us to do. And we're going to do things our way. And we're going to save ourselves. And we don't need God. Not to mention, God never, God was never in tower building. Never ever was God into tower building. He had Noah build a boat. And if you think that they were really trying to save themselves, they would have just done exactly what Noah did and replicate that. No, they were saying, we don't even want to do it the way that God has done it before. We're going to get to heaven our own way. I'm just going to talk about this for a moment. There are all sorts of people all across our world that are trying to get themselves to heaven. There are a bunch of tower religions. They maybe never go to church, but they're saying, I'm saved. Well, how do you know you're saved? I'm a good person. That's a tower. That's a tower. And I'm just going to build myself a tower into heaven. And I'm going to get there, and here's, here's really where it comes down to. This is the Old Testament. This is the law. They were going to build the tower. They were going to work. And they were going to make their way into heaven by their hard work. That is not the biblical model. You and I do not make it to heaven by our hard work and our hard effort. It's not by the works of man, lest any man should boast. You and I will not be saved by our hard work. And I just want to say that because, because even in Pentecost, we get this in our crawl that all of a sudden, maybe if I'm, if I pray a little more, you know, like I'll get, you know, the higher the hair, the higher, the closer to heaven, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the more I do a certain things that, and, and people are living in Old Testament Christianity and that's not how this is. Now, here's, here's what I will say. We don't work to be saved, but once you're saved, you're going to do all sorts of things. They're going to come as a, as fruit of being saved. And there's going to be a lot of things you're going to involve yourself in, but it will not be tower religion. Tower religion that says, I'll save me, I, and it's really, it's a godless religion. I don't need God. And so they wanted to build something real tall so that they didn't need the help of God to be saved. And that's how people build their lives today. That's how people build their marriages. That's how there's churches being built today. We're just going to build it as high and as fast as we can so we can get to heaven, but not understanding that We need God to be saved. And everybody said amen. Verses 7 through 9. Go to, let us go down, and there confound the language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad. Again, he said to them, I want you to go. And they said no. You need to go into all the world. And they said no. So God came down. And he scattered them abroad from the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. I'm sorry, verse 7. I, go to, let's go down and confound the language, that there may not be, may not understand one another's, another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the face of the earth, and they left off to building the city. Therefore, they, the name of it is Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad from the face of all the earth. God confused their language so that they couldn't understand each other and then scattered them throughout all the world. And here's here's the real story. Just as he commanded in the first place, it would have been so much simpler had they obeyed. God accomplished in judgment the dispersion that he asked them to do in the first place. But let me just tell you, it didn't take the judgment of God. And there are so many stories in the Bible we could talk about. You know, where when Noah disobeyed God, thinking he was going to go a thousand miles in the opposite direction? Jonah. Jonah ended up all the way back in Nineveh, right where he was supposed to be. Amen. And so, you can try to disobey God, but eventually, whether by submission and obedience or by the judgment of God, he's going to have you fulfill what he's going to have you fulfill in Jesus' name. And so, this is now... Replicated. He, re- he takes this language of man. He confuses it. He says nothing will be stopped for them. There is an understanding of let's all stay here. Let's build a city. Let's take and let's make bricks. And I preached about it before, uh, but nowhere is God okay with bricks in the Bible because it's just particles that are broken down. And, and God always used stones to build altars. And God always used stones to build his temple. And God always used stones for different things. Stones are different. They're natural. They're a conglomerate. And they come together, but they said, no, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to make bricks, and we're going to make them perfectly uniform, and we're going to fit them exactly how they need to be. And you are seeing uniformity happening. Uniformity is the world's way. Tower building is the world's way. But unity is God's way. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. man Acts chapter 2 you are seeing a parallel of exactly what happened all the way back in Genesis 11 it was god that confounded the language why because they said we want to stay here we want we don't want to obey god we want to do our we want to just do it the way we're going to do it and they all spoke the same language they all were of the same mind they were working as a collective this is not unity this is uniformity this is the world's way but you notice there's something similar Now, all the way in Acts chapter 2, the languages have been dispersed all the way since Babel. Different languages have come about and different cultures have come about. And here you have different cultures all in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And verse 1 says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. It's exactly like it happened at Babel. The difference is they were in a spirit of unity to obey God, whereas there was another group that got together that said, we're going to disobey God. And the Old Testament, they're trying to disobey him. And there's people that they all speak different languages. They all have a different heritage. But instead, they said, we're going to come together and we're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to seek God. We got one mind and one accord. We're all different. We're all from different places. But we're going to come together and we're going to pray. And verse number two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were seated. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see Old Testament, they're saying we're going to come together and disobey God and we're we all are the same and we're all uniform but here there's a group of people that have been following Jesus and they're obeying his word when he said go to Jerusalem because before I send you into all the world I need you to be gathered together in one place and there's gonna be a promise that's gonna come upon you and I'm going to redeem what I did all the way back in Genesis chapter 11 when I divided the tongues and I divided the language there's some people that don't think speaking in tongues is necessary I want to tell you this is this is as necessary as it was for God to disperse them in Genesis 11. Now you're seeing the redemption of the judgment that passed in Genesis 11. He is now unifying everybody with a culture of the kingdom. And that culture is built on one language. You can speak Spanish as your native language. You can speak English. You can speak Mandarin. But when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues the same as I did and the same as every other person in this building has received the Holy Ghost. So you're seeing a replica of this, but it's now being redeemed. Verse number 5. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. This wasn't just one subset of, uh, of of the world. This was people coming from all over the known world, and we don't we don't have time to, to read off all their names. But there's people from Egypt, people from Mesopotamia. They all speak different languages, but something happened. Amen. As we as we go on, verse twelve, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, "What meaneth this? What does this mean?" Amen. Verse 11. I'm sorry. Let's go back. Verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. And then they started mocking. And then there was others that were confused. But somehow, some way, God, through the power of the Holy Ghost, unified the language in a way where everybody that was there that day heard the wonderful works of God. He was redeeming what happened. Amen. This is a replication and a redemption of God God's judgment all the way back in Genesis 11, he is now redeeming through the church in Acts chapter 2 through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. God reunited the languages and then sent them into all the world to preach. And that is our mission, church. God, in fact, you even noticed they tried to do the same thing that they did in Genesis 11. They said, hey, this is nice. Let's just stay in Jerusalem. They started selling property. Let's all hang out. Let's not go anywhere. And the Bible says God stirred up and God allowed there to be great persecution. Why? Because he wanted this gospel to go into all the world. Amen. But first, they had to come together and be unified. Let's stand all across the building. There is still a mandate. Noah's mandate was to replenish the earth. I want to know, I want you to notice something. That Noah was given human government, the dispensation of human government. And under the, the dispensation of human government, he got drunk. His son made mistakes. They ended up creating all sorts of false religions. They tried to disobey God. They tried to build a tower. Which lets us know what the Apostle Paul would later say. We cannot please God in the flesh. And it is, it is letting us know that even the greatest government on earth is not good enough. Babylon was an incredible city, and even God said they will accomplish whatever they put their minds to. Even God saw that they were doing something, and God came down and saw it. But God said, "This this right here is not going to be what saves people. This is not going to redeem people. And so God separated them, divided out their language. And there was a- another unification of the language that happened in Acts chapter two. And this unification of the language was letting us know you can't do it by human government. You got to do it by spirit government. It is it is imperative, church, that we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Not, not just for salvation. We cannot please God in the flesh. Amen. Paul said we, we, uh, we, the, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. You and I cannot fulfill the, the law of God in our flesh. We cannot do it by our own governing. We can't do it by our conscience. I'm, I'm getting somewhere with all of this. Each of these areas, eventually we will get into the law. We'll get into the prophets. And you will find it is impossible for you and I to keep up with that in the flesh. And this is why God poured out his spirit in Acts chapter two, because what we could not do in our flesh when our flesh was weak, we were able to do through the spirit of God. When God filled them with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two, he gave them the power to overcome sin. He gave them the power to live righteously. He gave them the power. And this is what we need. In this wicked generation, we cannot afford to be walking in the flesh in the governance and the government of the flesh. Th- this whole idea of I'm a good person, I'm good enough, is not is not right. It's not true. Because Babylon said, "We're good enough. We'll just build our own tower to heaven." But it wasn't right, and it wasn't going to save them, and God knew it, so God stopped it. And he said, "I'm going to fill you with my spirit because that's the only way it's going to work. That's the only way you're going to accomplish this mission." Amen. And I want to tell you church, we did not receive the Holy Ghost just so we could come to church just so we could come and build a tower we received the Holy Ghost so that we could take the experience we have into all the world and share this gospel with everybody that we meet let's lift up our hands and let's praise the Lord thank you Jesus come on let's pray thank you for the Holy Ghost Thank you for the Holy Ghost. God, I, I've entered the kingdom through the power of the Holy Ghost. That means I've entered not human government. I've entered spirit government. And I cannot govern myself in the flesh. And I can't be governed by others. I've got to be governed by the law of the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, today, God, that as we pray and as we close out this this Bible study, God, that we would recognize that we cannot do it by ourselves. We have got to have a moving of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God except you're born again of water and spirit. You can't see it, you can't enter. The kingdom, that's the king's domain. That's where the king governs. Which means if you have not been born again of water and of spirit, you are not in the king's domain. Paul told us this. He said, if if you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. You're not his until you receive it. And the Bible says, if we walk in the spirit we should not fulfill the lust of flesh but it also says whosoever walks in the spirit they are the sons of God we are now when we are filled with the spirit we have entered the king's domain we've entered no longer in human government no longer in our own minds government we now step into the governing of the spirit of God and when we step into the spirits governing all of a sudden we we, we have something in the, something in the Holy Ghost uh, that will tell us, you know what, you need to stop doing that. Hey, you need to start doing that. That's what walking in the Spirit is like. Amen. It's, well, brother, can you tell me exactly uh, where it says doubt shalt not smoke crack? No, I can't. I could show you principles in God's Word, but they hadn't invented that yet. But I tell you what, if you'll pray through the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will start leading you. The Bible says the Holy Ghost will convict the world of, of, of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment, it'll tell you what not to do. There's some things that when you when you're under your own government, you do whatever's right in your own eyes, right? We build towers in our own eyes. We think this is great, this is good enough. We do things that we think is right, but when we get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will say you need to stop doing that. Whew. that's spirit government right there. You get the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost will say, you need to stop talking like that. You need to stop watching that. You need to stop dressing like that. You need to stop living like that. And you can get mad, but don't get mad at at the preacher. Don't get mad at the church. Get mad at the governor. I ain't talking about the governor of Nevada. I'm talking about get get mad at the king of kings. Get mad at the one that's in charge of the domain. But the Holy Ghost will not just tell you what not to do. The Holy Ghost will tell you what to do. It will tell the world of righteousness, What's the right thing to do? All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost will say, hey, you need to forgive that person that wronged you. Hey, you need to go to church. Hey, you need to go to the altar. Hey, you need to go, you need to go invite that person. You need to, oh man, and the Spirit will start leading you. You're no longer being governed by the flesh. You're being governed by the Spirit. And then the Holy Ghost will give you judgment to know the difference between the two what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. Amen those gray areas of life where you don't exactly know the Holy Ghost when you let the spirit we're out when you step out of human government. You step out of Noah's day and out of Babylon's day. Amen. You start stepping into the Holy Ghost and the spirit government, all of a sudden he'll help he'll help you navigate through life. Amen. Anybody ever experienced that? Thank you for the Holy Ghost. We can church We don't just preach the Holy Ghost because it's necessary for salvation. You cannot do this without the Holy Ghost. I cannot preach to you without the Holy Ghost. I can give you a sermon. I can give you a lesson. I could put something together. But something happens when we operate in the government of the Holy Ghost. That while I'm saying this, the Holy Ghost is speaking to you about something else amen, while I'm talking, while I'm teaching, while I'm preaching, the Holy Ghost, amen, we're all linked up in the spirit realm, and the spirit is starting to govern some things, and it's starting to mold and shape some things, amen, you don't get this in a denominational church, you don't get this, amen, at, at just some other religion, you only get this in, in a church like the apostolic church, where they've allowed the governance of the spirit. I want to be a spirit-filled individual, I want to pastor a spirit-filled church, I'm not just talking about what we believe, Acts 2.38. No, I'm talking about people that walk in the Spirit. As I quoted earlier, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I can always tell when people have not prayed through in the Holy Ghost. They start getting real fleshly. The Bible says the flesh, the human government, is the enemy of God. Carnal thinking. Everybody say, stinking thinking. Man, there ain't nothing wrong with you, but I'll tell you what, there's something wrong with our brains. Sometimes our brains start thinking, and you know what human government does? It does what's right in its own eyes. But when you have spirit government, the spirit will speak to you. And it is the highest form of government. Amen. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. I want to invite us down to the altar. We're going to come pray. If you've not prayed through the Holy Ghost in a little while, I want to encourage you. Today, today, to make it up in your mind, I have walked in the flesh for far too long. I have been governed by myself. I've been governed by other people. I've been governed by my flesh. I've been governed by my carnal mind. I have built towers. I've done all sorts of other things, and I've told myself that this is going to work, and this is going to get me where I need to go, and this is going to get me to heaven, but yet I have another law in my members. It's the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is trying to lead me and my family a different direction. It's trying to lead me the way I need to go. You don't get this from a book. You don't get this from a club. You get this from the government of the Spirit. You don't get this from your own mind. You don't get... your. The Spirit will speak things to you, amen, that your flesh will never speak to you. The Spirit will take you places that your flesh and human government will never take you you got to pray through to the holy ghost you don't build up your most holy faith in the flesh you build up your most holy faith praying in the holy ghost somebody pray right now come on let's pray all across this building let's worship the lord hallelujah we need the spirit of god church we can't do it without the holy ghost we can't, we can't live for God without God. We can't, we can't live according to his word in the flesh. We can't obey the word of God in the flesh. It's impossible. We need the law of the spirit. We need the government of the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody pray. Ooh. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. Your family is the Holy Ghost. Do it without the Holy Ghost. You can try to govern yourself, but you'll find your flesh is too powerful by yourself. You'll find that your flesh and your carnal mind is too powerful. Your sinful nature is too powerful. But when you receive the Holy Ghost, it will empower you over it. How am I going to do it, preacher? You need the Holy Ghost. And it's not going to be you that does it. It's going to be Christ in you. How am I going to fix this? You can't. But through the Holy Ghost governing you, It's gonna do it. united Set under I'll one government the spirits government the Holy I Ghost contain, government that I Come on, that's it all across this building. Lift up your hands. Every time you pray through the Holy Ghost, you are letting your flesh know you are not the the government. You are not governing me. You are not directing me. The Spirit is governing me. I am being led by the Spirit. I am walking in the Spirit. Every time you deny the flesh, every time you push down the flesh, you are declaring, I am going to be governed by the Spirit. Amen. We are under one government. That's the Spirit's government. Come on, let's love him all across this building. Come on, let's love him. Thank you for the law of the Spirit. Thank you for the governing of the Spirit. Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: You know, regardless of what, and that's the beautiful thing about the spiritual government. Regardless of what family you were born into originally, and regardless of what nationality, we might be physically here in America, but the Bible says that we are not, we are in this world, but we are not of it. Hallelujah. When we have gone through New Testament salvation, we received a, uh, we basically received a death certificate to this world and a birth certificate in the kingdom of God. And when you get that birth certificate in the kingdom of God, you get all rights and privileges of that kingdom. That's that's the New Testament covenant. Amen. You get all the rights and privileges of God's kingdom. But you also have the responsibilities as well. Amen. And that means you have to be governed by the Spirit. That's why so many people, they don't understand this concept of spiritual government. Because they're so used to human government. They're so used to, we just do what everybody else does. And we just do what other people have told us to do. And we just we just do all these, we build towers to make ourselves feel good. But when you're under spiritual government, all of a sudden now, you're obeying the Spirit. It may not make sense to everybody. Jesus even said it, you will not understand if you've not been born of the water of the Spirit. There's some things that just don't make sense. Man, you go to church multiple times a week. That don't make sense to your friends that go to the bar. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. But, you know, like, hey, but when you're governed by the Spirit, you're like, man, this. I've got to get more out of His Word. I've got to grow in His Word. And there's things that start making sense when you're filled with the Spirit. You know, there's some things that you can do. You know, you realize real quick when you go to another country, you know, you're not in America anymore. You kind of got to leave your your American IDs somewhere. <laughs> Don't lose them. But you kind of got to. We let's be real. You know, when you when you're an American, you kind of go through TSA with a little bit of a. You know, I dare you to check me. You know. <laughs> but when you're trying to get back into the country, hey, hello, sir. You know, it's a little different. You know, please let me back in. But when you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to be governed a different way. You're not going to operate in that world, according to, according to the way that they do things. No, you're going to you're going to walk in the government that you have. You're going to walk in the kingdom that you have. You're going to be led by the spirit that you have, and it may not make sense to everybody else. But you're but they're not walking in the same area you're walking. They're not, and there's certain things that you're going. The spirit's going to speak expressly to individuals that don't make sense to everybody else. What are you doing? I'm being led by the spirit. I'm being governed by the spirit. Amen. We we all. We all have to get to the place where we pray into the point where the spirit is the highest government in our life. Now, now I'm not saying get kooky. Even the spirit has laws. You can't get separated from the word. He's not going to tell you something in the spirit; he wouldn't tell you in the word. The spirit will never contradict the word. And everybody said Amen. Let's lift to our hands one more time as we thank God for His government, His governance. Lord, we love You. We thank You here tonight. Thank You, Jesus. That we are citizens of this kingdom and lord we do things that don't make sense to the rest of the world because we're not we're might be in that world but what we come from another government we come from another place and god i pray lord that we we would be following the spirit and led by the spirit i'm asking god that you would go with us as we leave this building and God, direct us, correct us. God, wherever you want us to go, wherever you want to stop us from going, God, you want to, we just want to be governed by you. It's a superior way of living, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Don't forget, this Sunday uh, is our Super Sunday service. We're going to have church at 1.30, and then uh, we, we thought about calling it Chicken Sunday because last year everybody bought, brought buckets of KFC chicken. And so you just bring whatever you want to bring. We're going to have a great time at the park afterwards. If you live further away, you're probably going to want to bring a change of clothes so that you can get changed and enjoy the park. And also, for anyone that's interested in helping out with pursuit, we will have a short meeting after church on Sunday. We'll get you more information, and uh, we'll also let you know what's going on. God bless you in Jesus' name.